If you have your copy of God's Word handy, you can be turning to the Gospel according to Matthew. If you would, to follow along this morning with our lesson, The Gospel According to Matthew. We're thankful as always that you're here for the opportunity to study together for just a few moments. As was said a few moments ago in our announcements, we continue to have folks that stop by or that are able to be back with us again after being away. Uh, we're even thankful that some folks considered sitting around Don. We thought there might be a gap around him, maybe a 20-foot gap to stay away from him. But no, we're, as someone who has tested positive and, and we survived our few weeks and, and came back, uh, we understand uh, the need. But uh, we're thankful that he's here and thankful for others of you who have been away for, for some time. But we're thankful to be here in person. Um, we continue to emphasize what our elders have said as uh, Jerry mentioned, when we had our elders and deacons and ministers meeting a couple of weeks ago, or last Sunday, I guess that was, we, we talked for several minutes about the coronavirus and the effects it has, not only on our congregation, but especially our worship. And we continue to try to be uh, careful to honor their requests and the requests of the government and others that we be careful when we're here together. But we also continue to try to emphasize that that doesn't put our Christianity on hold. We cannot stop living. We cannot stop being Christians. And part of that is being here as much as is possible, as often as you can, here with us to be able to enjoy together. We are thankful for the technology and the means that we have to be able to share with those who are at home and even those who are not just at home, but others who extend that maybe find our services online. We're thankful for that. But even through that, we continue to emphasize the importance of being here together. And we're thankful that you are here, especially this morning. It's interesting as you go through the book of Matthew... The first couple of chapters of the Gospel according to Matthew cover the birth of Jesus. It gives us a good portion of what we know about his birth. It's one of the places that we often turn to in our country and even people around the world turn to in the month of December as they think about the birth of Jesus. But as you come out of chapter 2 into chapter 3, we read an interesting statement in Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 13. Matthew records for us, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. You say, well, that's not really that interesting of a statement. Well, it is because if you think about what comes before Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 13, when we get to that point, we start to kind of shrug our shoulders and ask questions and say, well, wait a minute. It seems that we've come almost 30 years forward in just a few verses. What happened the last 28 or 29 or 30 years of the life of Jesus? And, of course, the ultimate answer is we don't know. And the other ultimate part of, part of that ultimate answer is that it doesn't really matter to our faith per se what he did for the first 28 or 29 years of life. He was preparing himself and being prepared for the ministry that he was about to enter. But it's interesting that we know so much about his birth. And of course that is important as we think about the prophets who foretold of that. If you're able to be with us on Wednesday nights here in the auditorium, we've begun a study of the prophets. And we've talked about the importance of the prophecies and the idea of those men and even women who would write and point the way towards Jesus coming and the virgin birth. So that's important. And then we come to chapter 3 and we think about him meeting John there and being baptized. And he's ready to begin this ministry. We move over to chapters 5, 6, and 7. And the first quarter of the book of Matthew quickly goes by with what we commonly refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. So much teaching crammed into just a few words there. So many things that we can take and learn from. Things that we can apply to our life that those people could hear and then they could go forth and live out. It's a great sermon, one of the most powerful sermons as we think about the way that we are to live. But then you enter into Matthew chapter 8. 
And what we begin to think about and see is Jesus going about doing many different things. And I know this picture on the screen here, it's not going to do much because it, wasn't, it wouldn't have been the road that Jesus would have been on, of course. I don't think there would have been pavement necessarily like that just yet or pain or even in his uh, area of the world at that time, there wouldn't have been the trees as you see in this picture here. But it's interesting to consider that beginning in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus begins to have interaction with lots of different people that we can read about. And so we begin to ask the question, and I don't know if you've come across Matthew in your daily Bible reading. Some of you may have started in Matthew, depending on the plan that you might have picked up to read. Some of you may have started in Genesis, and that's perfectly fine. A lesson like this will hopefully encourage you as you move forward and get into the book of Matthew. But as we think about Matthew chapter 8 and what begins to happen there, maybe you begin to ask this question, what if it were me? What if it were me that had met Jesus on a road? that it had an interaction with him? What if it were me that it had some type of disease or blindness or something else in my life that I wanted to be healed of and there's no one else that could do it but there's this guy that I keep hearing about who's walking around and having all of these different interactions. What if it were me? And so we come into Matthew chapter 9 and as we are going to think this morning about a brief study of Matthew chapter 9 as a whole, we see at least 9, if not 10 or 11 or 12, depending on the way you count it, interactions that Jesus has in Matthew chapter 9. If you have your outline in front of you, you've noticed the title of our lesson. If you have that in front of you, you may have noticed the title of the invitation song that we're about to sing in just a moment. What will you do with Jesus? And as we read Matthew 8 and we read Matthew 9, we think about the different interactions that we had. And it might be beneficial for us as we consider, even this morning, very briefly, chapter 9, to think about, what if it were me? What if I had had an interaction with him? And I think that as we study the nine or so interactions that happen in chapter 9, we'll catch a glimpse of some ways that we might have reacted. Or currently, even as we're going to think about our lives, some ways that we still interact. The setting is in the city of Capernaum. Now as we begin chapter 9, Matthew records for us, so he got into a boat and he crossed over and came to his own city. Now at the end of Matthew chapter 8, he's had another one of those uh, argumentative or problem interactions. Do you remember Matthew chapter 8 at the very end? There's a, a man with demons or two demon-possessed men, excuse me, and Jesus calls the demons out and he sends them into the swine. This is one of those that our kids always enjoy hearing. And the swine take off off the mountainside and run off, but the demon-possessed men are healed. But as is sometimes the case with Jesus, this causes a problem. And so the people, in essence, throw him out. They don't want him around anymore because of what he's doing. And so in chapter 9, he gets in the boat, they cross over the water, and he comes into his own city, which many believe to be the city of Capernaum. That's not Nazareth and things like we commonly think of, but as he began to take lodging in different places, we're going to see that this setting is typically in and around Capernaum. Now, as we enter the city, as we enter with Jesus, and we think about what's going to take place here, I would like to suggest for your thinking this morning, it would be encouraging for us to consider for just a moment at least six different reactions that we read about here. If you've read Matthew already this year, maybe you've noticed these. Maybe you're like me and sometimes we read kind of quickly over them and we don't think about it. But let's sit for just a moment here together and consider these reactions to Jesus. Number one, there is some who question. 
Now, I just gave you the, the words we're going to consider in your outline. I'll give you the verses as we look at these together, and you might jot them down. The first one is in verse number 11 of chapter 9. We see that Jesus has been dining with Matthew and other tax collectors and sinners. And in verse 11, when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, there's a good chance you've been in this position before that the Pharisees were in. You, you know what I'm talking about? Where you're sitting away from someone and you whisper about them to someone else, but yet they still hear it. That seems to be what takes place here. The Pharisees whisper to his disciples and ask a question, but Matthew records for us when Jesus heard that in verse number 12. The Pharisees and, of course, the Sadducees and others were among the groups of people that were always questioning him. Not in a good sense, but in the negative sense. Trying to challenge him. Trying to catch him in some sort of question or some sort of trouble. They were trying to catch him where he was not being consistent. Is that something that we struggle with even in our world today? Being consistent among our life. And so when we think about that, Jesus is consistent. He is the model of consistency. But the people, including these Pharisees, are trying to question him and catch him in that. Their question is, why does your teacher, this good teacher, eat with the tax collectors and these awful, terrible sinners? Jesus' answer, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. What we know so well. He says, I didn't come to sit with the great people, those who are perfect. I came for those who are in need of me. Those who are sinners that need to hear the saving power of the gospel, that need to hear the message that he would be carrying. Some people question Jesus, but that's not the only place in this chapter. Look at verse number 14. We go on a little further and it says, Then the disciples of John, that's John the baptizer, John the Baptist, came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Now here's what seems to be on the other hand, a bit of a good question maybe. They're saying we fast and the Pharisees fast. By the way, the Pharisees were known for their fasting, maybe not in the best way. They were known to fast twice a week, but to do so to be seen by men. And so these disciples of John are saying, what's the deal here? You know, your folks, the folks traveling with you aren't doing that, but we are doing that. And when we think about fasting, it was often associated with mourning. And it was often associated with certain things. So Jesus goes on to make the point there in verse number 15 about a wedding. Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. See, Jesus seems to be saying, referencing his death, there's a time coming when I won't be here, then is the time to fast. And not to worry about it now. But it's interesting that some folks, when they came in contact with Jesus, they would question him. Sometimes it was not good. It was of an angry sense. It was trying to catch him. It was an evil intent and desire. But sometimes it was probably a good question. Others come along. We think about the rich young ruler who comes along and says, what can I do? What should I be doing? So some folks, when they come in contact with Jesus, they question him. In connection with that, some folks ridicule him. If you're there in Matthew chapter 9, look at verse number 24. A background as you read through that or as you get there, Jesus is traveling around again, of course, and a ruler came and worshipped him, saying that my daughter has just died, and come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. 
And so Jesus is going to make this trek from where he is to this ruler's house. But in the meantime, before he can get there, he gets stopped by a woman and she wants to touch him. But while all this is taking place in verse number 23, then they come, when Jesus comes to the ruler's house, ruler's house, he sees those who are gathered there that are already preparing to mourn. The flute players, it says, and the noisy crowd who is wailing. And so Jesus sees this commotion. He sees these people who are mourning and he makes a statement. He says, make room for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And the New King James says here, and they ridiculed him. Now it's easy to jump on the bandwagon and, and say, well, how crazy are these folks? But let me ask you, as you read Matthew 9 and as you read your Bible, especially the gospel accounts, those of the life of Jesus, put yourself in their shoes and think for just a moment. If you have just been in this house and you have walked into that room and seen a dead person, and then Jesus walks in and says, oh, she's not dead, she's just sleeping, how would you have responded? I think a lot of us would have responded with question and said, now wait a minute. Now some folks are believing in him. We'll get there in just a minute. But some folks believe that he can do these things. So I understand there might be a reason to, to not laugh. But certainly, if you've lived that long, if you are an adult and you have watched people live and die and you've seen a dead body and you know that person's dead and somebody comes in and says they're just sleeping, chances are good you might have had a bit of a response like that as well. But yet some people, when they encounter Jesus, they ridicule him. And of course the folks here are wrong. They're wrong because he has the power and he's going to perform the miracle. And they are wrong for ridiculing him. This ruler, he obviously believes to some extent, right? He goes and finds Jesus and says, come, I know you can do it, come and do it. So there's a good chance that maybe some of those folks were beginning to believe or considering these things, yet when they encounter him, they're going to ridicule him. But yet we know that Jesus, in the end, has the last word as he is going to put them out and she is going to live. Some people ridicule him. Number next. Some people marvel when they encounter Jesus. We look at verse 8 of Matthew chapter 9. If you recall the beginning here, as you've been looking across these verses maybe in the last few moments, Jesus has healed a paralytic. Now, this is where things get a little confusing when you read the gospel accounts. This is what many believe to believe the account from Mark chapter 2, which was one of my favorite stories when I was a young person, of the friends who bring the paralytic to the house and tear open the roof and let him down. I don't know why, but it was just always one of my favorites. But they, this is that account, Matthew's account of that. He doesn't go into the same detail, but Jesus has just done this. Done this. And once he has done that, what do the people do? This man who could not walk, verse 8 says, arises and departs. And in verse 8, when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. You see, Jesus had already said in the Sermon on the, the Mount, we reference this from time to time, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus has done these things and they marvel and they glorify God. But that's not the only place. If you look in Matthew chapter 9 at verse number 33. Matthew 9 and verse 33. A mute man is going to speak. 
A man who was mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke and the multitude marveled. The multitude marveled. Through modso is the word that we see here. And it's actually in verse number 20. It's actually when we think about what's said here that even those around are gathered. They are marveling at what is taking place. They are surprised. They are amazed at what Jesus is able to do. And so when we take our first two words that we talked about just a moment ago, there's a bit of a negative sense. Some people question him. Some people ridicule him. But yet here we see a shift. There are some people who begin to marvel. And they begin to think about exactly what has taken place here. And the things that they, that they can do. The things that Jesus can do. So some people marvel when they meet him. Let's go further. Some people believe when they meet Jesus. Look at verse number 28. When we think about the blind men, two blind men who are here, it's interesting that Matthew chapter 9 actually kind of encompasses all of these things. And when we think about what they're doing, there are those who do the negative, there are those who react in the positive. And in verse number 28, when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. And we see what we see a lot of times. When someone professes that they have belief, then they are healed. When Jesus sees that, and people can marvel at their faith as well. You think about verse number 20 and verse 21 with that woman who interrupts Jesus as he's headed to Jairus' house to heal this young girl who had died. The woman who touches. What does she want to do? And maybe you've been in that position as well, right? We sometimes call it getting your hand caught in the cookie jar. Remember that woman there in verses 20 and 21? She sneaks up amongst the crowd and she just wants to touch the hem of his garment. And of course, Jesus feels the power come out of him, he says, at least a small bit of it. And he asks the question of who, it, who did this? What happened? So she gets caught, but the reason that she is even interested and in sneaking up and even interested in touching a piece of the clothing of this man is because she believes. Some people, when they encounter Jesus, they believe in what he is able to do. And in verse 28, he asked those guys that question. Think about it. Verse number 27, they're blind. They can't see that he's passing by, but yet as he passes by, they are crying out. Son of David, have mercy on us. And he says, do you believe? And they say, absolutely, yes. He says, then you can be healed. Because of this great faith. When some people meet Jesus, they begin to believe. But let's go further. Some people, when they meet Jesus, they follow. You see, what we've talked about already is a bit of a reaction. Some people, when they see him, they question. They ridicule some people marvel and some people believe. But let's just not talk about the reactions that we have to him. Let's talk about action for just a moment. In verse number 9, we meet a man by the name of Matthew or Levi, the tax collector. As Jesus passed on from where he had healed the paralytic, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. I believe it's Luke, if it's not Mark, I think it's Luke, that then references in this same account of the calling of Matthew that he forsook all and followed after him. It's interesting here, if, as you first read this, 
I would say I guess it's possible that there may be some type of supernatural setting to this. I, I guess that's possible. But do you see anywhere else in the Bible that Jesus says something to someone and makes them follow after him? No, because you see, we go all the way back to Adam and Eve, to Cain and Abel. We come forward through the Old Testament and we come all the way to this point in Matthew and everyone has a choice. We're not robots. We're not pre-programmed. Jesus doesn't just make us follow after him. So he calls out to Matthew and he says, follow me. And it's possible, just as with everyone else in this chapter, that Matthew has had some type of hearing ability that he knows this is going on. Whether he's sitting in his toll booth there, so to speak, and he, he keeps looking out and hearing the commotion, whether the word has come to him about this man who is traveling around and doing these things, there's a good chance that he's already heard about this Jesus. And so when Jesus passes by, he says, follow me. And Matthew has a choice. You see, when some people encounter Jesus, they have the opportunity to follow him and they choose to do that. I wouldn't say it was supernatural simply because no one is forced to. We have a choice. Some people meet Jesus and they say, you know what? That sounds really good. I don't think I'm interested. You're going that way? I think I'm going to stay right where I am. But yet some people choose to follow him. As we think about what Matthew goes through here in verse number 9. Not just following him, but forsaking all and following him. That's one action. And that's great if you follow after him. That's what we want. That's what Jesus desires. But secondly, in connection with some of the action here that we're talking about, <clears throat> do you share what you know after you encounter Jesus? In verse number 26, after Jesus has gone to Jairus' house, after this woman has touched the hem of his garment, in verse 25, when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all that land. No doubt those that were just ridiculing him have now changed their tune and begun to share what happened. Maybe they're sharing it as believers. Maybe they're still sharing it, but they're sharing it as skeptics. But the report is going forth. Don't you think... That Jairus, his daughter, his wife, others that were gathered there were willing to go forth and tell about this man and what he had done. To share the good news. He's not died on the cross yet. He's not shed his blood in the way that we talk about the good news, the gospel of Jesus dying for you and for me. But he is beginning to share good news. He is doing these great things and sharing this good message. And these people take that report and they sound it throughout all the land. But look at verse 31 as well. The exact occasion of this we know for sure. After these two blind men have been healed and Jesus says, Yes, because of your faith, He tells them, See that no one knows it. There were times where for various reasons that Jesus might say, don't go share this news just yet. And there might have been times that some folks obeyed that and did not do that. He tells them, see that no one knows it. But, but when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. They made him known to everyone. What's the best thing 
that's ever happened to you? What's the most important thing that's happened in your life, or at least one of them? Maybe it was getting married, or maybe it was getting engaged. Maybe it was having the children that you have in your life. But oftentimes, when something good happens to us, we noise it abroad to every single person that we come in contact with. Have you ever met a first-time grandparent, right? Now they got that phone they can whip out from time to time. We pray that in just a few months that Missy and William are going to be insufferable, right? And we're not going to be able we want to stop and talk to them because they're only going to tell us about this good news that they have. Some of you have already been there before, and you know how that feels, to share this great news of something that's happened in your life. When some people encounter Jesus, they follow after Him. When some people encounter Jesus, they then take that news and share it. They don't just share it with one person, but they share it with everybody that they meet. Now, as we've talked about six things here, the question that is going to arise is, has any of that happened to us? Have we ever acted in any of these ways before when we've encountered Jesus? But before we get there, let's think about the end of the chapter. You see, beginning in verse number 35, it's interesting that we even see Jesus' reaction to what has been happening. Verse 35, he continues to go about to the cities and villages, teaching, preaching, healing. But in verse 36, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. They were weary. They were confused. They were unsure. And so it's interesting that when we think about people's reaction to Jesus, we even still see His reaction to what's taking place. And the fact that He was so moved with compassion of what's going on. I mean, think about the line. You know, we've seen these pictures of folks not only wanting to get tested for COVID, but also those who are in line for the vaccine and other things. Lines down the block or down the road, people stretched out for forever. Think about the line that Jesus could have formed if he had said, all right, everybody, get in line one after another and let's see how many people we have to heal today. He looks around him and these crowds continue to come. He continues to get on boats and go out into the water to get away for just a moment's peace. But sometimes, including right here when he looks around him, he has nothing but compassion. His reaction is one of compassion because these people are weary. They are scattered. They are confused. They are like sheep having no shepherd. And so he looks. He looks at his followers. He looks at his disciples. And I would say even this morning, by extension to his followers, even in this room today, he looks and says, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We talk about sending out laborers into the harvest. And we a lot of times think about going overseas or spending lots of money or taking weeks or months or years of our life. But Jesus was, was encountering people every day. And so do you and so do I. And we have to decide, are we going to share? Are we going to have compassion amongst the people? To look around and see people who are weary, who are scattered, who are confused, who are broken, who are worried, who don't know what's coming next. And will we have compassion? And share with them the good news of Jesus. Because here's the interesting thing. Here's the last question. 
Once you meet him, you have to make a decision. Every person in Matthew chapter 9, every person in 2021 who meets Jesus has to make a decision. The first time and every time. See, I would submit to you, if we're not careful, we say that the first time we encounter Jesus, we hear about His saving grace, His saving power, we think about Him. If we think that's the only time we make a decision, we are sorely mistaken because every time we encounter Him, we have to make a decision. Whether it's here in this worship assembly, whether it's Wednesday night in Bible class, whether it's at home when you're hopefully opening your Bible and reading His Word, every time you meet Jesus, you have to make a decision. Are you going to ridicule him? Are you going to ignore him? Are you going to marvel? Are you going to believe? And then ultimately, are you going to follow? And if you're willing to follow, are you going to share? It's interesting. Uh, we talk about from time to time how our Bibles, our Bibles are broken down by men. Uh, you know, as they would then read this on the parchment or the scrolls, there was no Matthew chapter 9. But I think it's interesting sometimes how we can take a chapter as it's broken down for us and see right here, just a few verses, the ways that people react to Jesus. And so the question comes to you. You see, we're about to sing this song in just a moment. And the same question that we started with is the same question we're about to sing. And the same question we're about to sing is one that we ask you, as we always do, to pay attention to. To sing it to one another. To sing it to yourself as you are about to utter these words. What will you do with Jesus? We're about to sing this song that, that lists, going to list several things. It's going to list some encounters that others had outside of Matthew chapter 9. But it's going to ask the same question. What will you do with Jesus? And while we said that that matters the first time, and it also matters every time, what matters right now in this moment is this time. As we're about to sing this song, what will you do with Jesus? You are presented with an opportunity as we sing this and encourage you through its words that you would become gospel obedient. The possibility exists as you're here this morning or even for those who may view this later that you have a question about that. Maybe you've not been gospel obedient we oftentimes put up on the screen here God's simple plan of salvation. And if we're not careful, we sometimes treat it as a, a step plan from the beginning to the end. But as you look at this list, each week, you may be at different points on it. Maybe it is that you believe the word, but you've never gone so far as to repent of sins or confess Jesus as Lord. But of course, you can do those things and not be baptized. You can be baptized in the sense that we put you in the water and you get wet, but you don't actually repent of your sins. Would you be gospel obedient this morning? That's the most important decision. That's the most important answer to that question. What will you do with Jesus? Become a Christian. Put him on in baptism. Allow his blood to wash away your sins. We'll be singing in just a moment to encourage you if you need to do that so that the Lord can then add you to his church. But maybe you've done that in times past, but you've struggled to remain faithful. As we said, it's not just a one-time question, but for all time and every time. When you leave this place and you open your Bible, and you read the words of Jesus encouraging you to do this or do that, or not do this or not do that, do you follow? Do you believe? Or do you ignore? Do you ridicule? What will you do with Jesus? Even now as we stand together and as we sing.